We in the Western world have lost our idea of defilement to a large extent, and so we don't appreciate what it means to have God make us clean and holy. And yet, if there's one thing that COVID may have given us, it's a renewed appreciation for what defiles and the need to be made clean. Hello, folks. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. Our ministry is going forward every day in countries around the world. To learn more about us, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. The festival of Hanukkah is the feast of dedication mentioned in John chapter 10. And it is there that we discover that Christ, the Savior, makes us clean and removes from us our defilement. I think it's hard for us in our day and age to appreciate the great desire to have defilement removed from your life. We, we don't have that idea of defilement. The Jews in Jesus' day had long been taught from generation to generation that there are things that are holy and there are things that are unholy, and those unholy things can defile you, and as a result, they can keep you from access to a holy God where you can worship him, which was the primary identity of a Jew. If you can't approach God and worship him, you can't exercise your primary purpose and identity, and disconcerting for them. But this whole idea of defilement is difficult for us to keep in mind. I don't know how to illustrate this for you. I imagine if you met somebody who had COVID and they were wearing a mask and you were forced to take them someplace, maybe to get some medicine for them, and you came and you were driving in your car and you got the window rolled down a little bit so you can suck in the air from outside. You don't want to breathe the same. They've got their mask on, etc. You get to the place and you find that you don't have a mask to go inside to get the medicine they need, and they take their mask off and say, here, just wear this. You might think, heck, I'm not going to wear that. It, that would defile me. I'm not going to put that on. I, I had a sister who called me earlier this week uh, sounded as sick as a dog on the phone it's just throats all raspy totally plugged up complaining that she needed to get a christmas tree she had sent out her family on a mission and they had failed to get the tree she wanted and so would i uh, would i loan my truck to her so she could go get a tree she used my truck i was not there at the time she came by used my truck i came back later in the day the truck had been brought back the keys were set aside for the truck i went to use the truck, and they're sitting on the seat where I had to sit is a mask. And you know, immediately, wait, is this been worn? Is this thing been worn by this person who borrowed my truck? And here it is sitting where I didn't want to touch it. It's like I got a stick and picked it up and flung it over to the far corner of the It's defiled. Just a very minor expression of the infectious nature of sin and its defilement that comes upon an individual and that the Jews recognized and understood. And In Jesus' day, the idea of contact tracing was very active. If you had come in contact with some defiled person and you hadn't gone through a certain ritual of cleansing and washing in order to remove that defilement, then they would find out everybody else who came in contact with you and all of you were excluded from the temple and the place of worship and all of you actually were excluded from circulating with anyone else in fellowship because you would just spread the defilement of your life on others until you had gone through a process of time and a certain ritual of cleansing and washing and some sacrifice was made for you in order for you to be restored in fellowship and everybody else would come in contact with you and so they were quite cautious 
about touching individuals if they didn't know where that individual had been or who they'd been in contact with. And, and frankly, it even got more serious for them when it came near to the festivals and the holidays because they didn't want to be in danger of missing out on those holidays. In fact, during the holidays prior to that, they would send individuals out to go to every place where there was a tomb and they would have the person repaint that tomb in white so it would be really clearly seen that that was a tomb so everybody would know as they were walking along to avoid that place because they, of all things, didn't want to come in contact with a dead body. That would definitely defile you because death was an expression of the deep consequences of sin. They didn't want to come in contact with it because if they came in contact with something that was dead, they wouldn't be able to go and carry out their worship and their fulfillment and you remember what the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you're, you're like whitewashed graves. You're white on the outside, but people ought to avoid you because you're full of defiled dead bones. But this is the question that's being asked. Again, I think the notion of the defilement of sin is largely lost in our age. We've so communicated the idea of easy access to God that the average Christian takes it as a given that they can fester in the sewer of defiling thoughts and attitudes and actions and then do God a favor by sauntering into his presence for a prayer or for a blessing or to sing some motivating song to themselves or others. But the question should be, as it was in that day, more like this. Who can take away the deep trenches of defiling sin from our lives? How can we who are soaked in the rancid stains of sin ever be made fit to come near to a holy God? Who can take away the stain that runs so deep within us? The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know. Who can make that deep, wicked heart clean so from the heart I might worship God in spirit and truth? Who can somehow work upon my life? The Bible also says that all of our righteousness are like filthy, defiled rags. Who can make me clean? I can't come to God in my own righteousness. Who can make me clean? And we need to be careful that we don't easily and flippantly give the answer. We've learned the right evangelical answer to give, but we give it so readily that we don't allow a person or we don't take serious the distress the person should have. In fact, we actually signal the individuals, don't feel distressed about your sin. There's an easy fix. And we end up presenting the gospel like a roncomatic machine, right? You can slice it and dice it and remove it from your life without any effort whatsoever. But the Jews knew the distress and the deep defilement that sin created in the back of their minds. And so they asked questions like, can sin stain be removed from my life and I stand before a holy God to worship him and be safe? And they asked questions like, can God remove my sins and cleanse me so thoroughly that I'm free to be in fellowship not only with him, but with others without defiling them. We should ask those kinds of questions. That should be a riddle in our minds, in the minds of those who come to Christ, because we take sin as seriously as God takes sin. This is the kind of question that the Jews were asking. Even though they were worshiping the temple, they understood that there was a residue of defilement, and they didn't know how to remove it. And they had no answer for it. Now, when you go and study the Gospel of John, it's been suggested that one of the ways you can study the Gospel of John is you can follow that John introduces us. He brings Christ to us, but he introduces Christ to us through the various celebration of the various feasts of Israel. And that in each point, 
John introduces something of a question or a desire or a longing that those festivals introduce and that the Lord Jesus then comes on the scene at the time to present himself as the one who fulfills that longing or that promise that is indicated in the feast and this is true in the feast of dedication or the feast of Hanukkah as well. So the Lord Jesus will come, they'll ask these questions and then the Lord Jesus will demonstrate that he is the one that's to answer the question they're asking. He actually says to them, listen, you uh, need to believe me. In Hanukkah, there was a miracle that took place. I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. A miracle that they are celebrating. And the Lord Jesus is saying, that miracle validates that God was real and God was with you. And I want you now to look at my life and my miracles and know that I'm validating that I'm here and God is among you. And I'm here to do a work in this place. I'm the one who makes the defiled, the thing that is defiled clean. And in John chapter 11, the Lord Jesus demonstrates this. The next miracle that we read about, when this question rises, are you the one who can make things clean? Are you the one who can take the defilement away? The next miracle is a, a message comes to the Lord Jesus as he's ministering along the Jordan that the one he's loved has died, Lazarus. And the Lord Jesus delays in going to Lazarus for four days. Finally, the Lord Jesus travels to where Lazarus is. Lazarus has been dead and his body has been rotting in the tomb for a lengthy period of time. In fact, it's one of Lazarus' sisters who anoints Jesus later on with a beautiful perfume that he, she pours over his feet, Mary. But this same family, we are certain, would have poured out all of their anointment and oils over the body of the dead, and it was a way of masking the scent of the decay of rot that would take place. And so the anointed body of Lazarus laid in the tomb, but it was still not enough to fend off the awful stench of the rotting of his flesh. When the Lord Jesus arrives, he asks them to take him to the tomb and to roll back the stone where he lies. And Martha, the other sister of Lazarus, says, Lord, he, he stinks by now. Jesus still has him roll back the, the stone from his grave. The Lord Jesus cries into the grave, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, still wrapped in his grave clothes, waddles out of that grave healthy and alive without the stench of death on him at all, vacated completely from that place. Yes, Jesus can cleanse what is defiled and he can take it and dedicate it wholly and completely unto himself. Your sin is gone. The stench of your sin can be removed. The defilement is gone from your life. Your life is set free to be in fellowship with God. Your life is unbound to be in fellowship with others without defiling them. Until you understand the ugliness, the great ugliness of your sin, you'll not understand how wonderful it is that this is true. That he can take away the defilement that's on you because of your sins. And not only is it on you before God, but it doesn't go from you to anyone else. What a promise in that. What a wonderful promise in that. Jesus not only forgives us, he cleanses us and he makes us holy. And that's what he's demonstrating to the Jews there. Nothing to them was more defiling than a dead body. And immediately after this question is asked, he goes and he raises a dead man who'd been dead for a lengthy period of time and brings him out alive out of the tomb. Here's the second problem they had. The second problem they asked was, how will we gain light to guide us in our work of dedication? How will we gain light to guide us in our work of dedication? In other words, when the Maccabees overtook this temple from these Hellenized Jews that 
Antiochus Epiphanes had put over the temple, they now had to cleanse that temple out and dedicate it. They had to remove all the different idols reflecting all the various gods of the Greeks. They had to go into the Holy of Holies because Antiochus had actually put an idol of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. They had to go through all the temple grounds to purify all the things that had been defiled over a period of three years because this had been going on in three years. In fact, this work of defilement began exactly three years to the day in which Antiochus first began to sacrifice pigs on the altar. And they had to go through and cleanse all of that out, but there was a problem. They, they needed light to go into these recesses to burn, to cleanse it, but there was a rule that if they were to go into these places, they had to go with a dedicated or holy light. They had to burn oil that had already been dedicated and purified and consecrated and set apart for this place. They couldn't take common oil in that place to burn a common fire. They had to burn a holy fire from dedicated oil and where would they get that and they looked around and they found they found enough oil to burn for one day one day in order to go into the temple and cleanse it this is the this is the story that is told at this time and the problem was the work before them was a work that was going to take more than one day it took eight days but they took that oil they dedicated themselves to the task and the work and they lit their lamps and they went into the temple to begin going through the work of identifying where the things had been defiled and removing all of the idols and purifying that place and reestablishing holy items and articles to be used solely for the worship of God in the temple again. And the oil didn't burn for one day. The oil burned for eight days. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. In our changing world, it's important that you have one unchanging thing an assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. But you don't want to have a false assurance. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. It can be used personally or as a group study. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.